0: Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, how you orchestrate things and how you put things in order, and Lord, we are just thankful that we know how to step out of the way and allow you to do that, and Lord, continue to teach us that. Continue to teach us to be sensitive to your spirit and to walk and do and things, do, do the things that are pleasing in your sight. So, God, I pray for this message this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will just do a mighty work. I pray that you'll make my mind clear, and I pray the message comes out clear and concise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about a topic, and I'm going to title it, Watch and Be Ready. Watch and Be Ready. And this is coming out of a parable out of Matthew chapter 25. Jesus spoke in parables to the people of his day because parables were something they could easily understand and more of a story format. And so it was a. a, a Jesus, Jesus gave many parables in the New Testament. And they're really interesting. And I would encourage you to go back and read through the parables of Christ and then try to ask him or ask him for, wow, Lord, what does that mean to me? This particular parable Jesus spoke about 2,000 years ago it was about end time events. And do you ever think, do you ever, does it ever cross your mind? Have you ever thought about why Jesus was concerned about the end time when times were just beginning? I mean, it was just the beginning of the church era, but yet Jesus spoke quite a bit about end time events. Do you ever wonder about that? What was he trying to say to people? See, even though Jesus doesn't know at that time, Jesus did not know the, the exact day or the hour. He said only God in heaven does, and the angels nor the sun know exactly the times. But he did know that it wasn't going to happen then, but yet he spoke like it was going to happen then. He gave an urgency to the message of the end times whenever he spoke it. I think Jesus was therefore speaking a twofold message. Clearly, he was speaking to the people then, and then secondly, he was communicating a message to us today, because we are certainly closer to the end than they were. I'm closer to the end than I was yesterday, and so are you. I I, I can tell you, I uh, there is a driving sense in my spirit. For us to wake up and to take note of the day and the hour that we're living in. And I know that there have been many people that have spoken about end time events. And I know that we all can tell story after story about different people that have stood up and said, The end is near. The end is near. Repent, for the end is near. Or people have made crazy statements about end time events. Well, I'm not here this morning to debunk them. Nor am I here to be one of them. I am here this morning to declare the word of the Lord and to present what the Bible says. So I am not an end time prophecy sayer. I'm not a dooms person, a doomsayer. I am just reading what God's word says and trying to make sense of it. I'm trying to understand what it says. So this morning I want to talk about Matthew chapter 25 and the parable that Jesus talks to us about the ten virgins that were preparing for a wedding feast. You can open up your Bible and turn with me to chapter 25, and we're going to read the first 13 verses, or you can read it on the screen. It says, "'At that time the kingdom of heaven "'will be like ten virgins who took their lamps "'and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. "'The foolish ones took their lamps "'but did not take any oil with them. "'The wise ones, however, took oil and jars "'along with their lamps. "'The bridegroom was a long time in coming,' The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Let's pray again. Father, would you open our hearts, and would you open our ears and our eyes as to what you want us to see in this parable. I pray, God, that it would be clear, and I pray, Lord, there'd be no confusion. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help me to deliver the message in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this was a parable spoken by Jesus. Jesus spoke these words. According to Matthew Henry's commentary, he says this about chapter 25. This chapter continues and concludes our Savior's discourse, which began in the foregoing chapter, or chapter 24, concerning his second coming and the end of the world. This was his farewell sermon of caution... The application of this discourse was watch therefore and be ye also ready. So if you go back this afternoon and read chapter 24 and then read chapter 25, you see how they work together. Jesus was speaking in chapter 24 of the end time events. The disciples wanted to know what's going to happen. When when are these things going to happen and what are the signs of the end times? And Jesus pretty clearly lays them out. And then... Right away, he goes into the parable of 25 to say, and this is why it's important that you be ready. So I think we should focus a little bit this morning on what this parable says for us and how should we be watching and how should we be ready for the coming of the Lord in the way that we will see it. Somehow, some way, you will see the coming of the Lord in your lifetime. Whether it's in the corporate rapture or your personal departure from this world, you will see the coming of the Lord coming into your life. Therefore, watch and be ready. Now, I'll be honest with you this morning. I feel such an urgency to stand on top of this church and to yell out like Paul Revere that the British are coming. I really do. But I'm cautioned in my spirit to be that exuberant, Because I know that many people in the past have done that and I don't want to, I don't want to be the little boy that calls wolf. But at the same time, I just sense and I'm not the only one I believe that has the same feeling that the time is closer and closer and closer and it's more than what we can even begin to see. So, don't dismiss me and don't dismiss the message if you don't agree with my urgency but I do feel urgent that we start talking about this. Now, what concerns me, I've spoken to some other pastors in this community, and they don't always feel that. In fact, one pastor said, I don't even want to talk about that. It scares me to think that some pastors would be that way. But I feel that the message here is close. And let me add just a little bit of a twist to it, not a, and not in any way out of wrong here, but like we already spoke about. I have no idea what tomorrow holds. Now, just this earlier this week, we had a funeral in here for a 31-year-old man. Now, that man, if somebody would have went to him the day before his funeral or the day before his unfortunate accident and said, you are living in your last days, would he have believed him? See, he had no idea. He had no idea that morning when he put his boots on that he would not be taking them off that night. And that's what life is for us. None of us have a guarantee for tomorrow. That's why when Jesus spoke the urgency of the hour to those 2,000 years ago, he was speaking in urgency into their lives and said, you have no idea how long you're going to live either. So therefore, this is not just to talk about the end times rapture. It's to talk about our life in general. And this is not a fear-mongering tactic. This is not a way to create fear in your life to manipulate you by fear. There is nothing good in fear. Rather, what this is, this is a time of urgency, of wisdom, to say it's time to be awake and stay awake and don't count things that you don't count on for sure because you don't know what's for sure. Therefore, let's live wisely and let's learn the lesson of the wise virgins here. Again, I do not want to make this a fear strategy because this is nothing about fear. In fact, first, in fact, 1 John 4.18 tells us there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So Jesus was not talking about fear. He was not spreading a fear-based gospel. He was spreading a love-based gospel. And that's exactly what we are to do as well but if I really love you if Jesus really loved us then he spoke truth to us and if your friends love you they will also speak truth to you amen and you will also speak truth to your friends out of a sense of love and that's why we speak very clearly and very plainly about end time events and about living our life such that we could be living in our last day amen Let's first identify the characters in this parable so we all understand. Number one, the bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is referred to other times in Scripture as the bridegroom as well. And the believers that are believing in him are betrothed to him and are being prepared as his bride. So the bridegroom in this parable is Jesus. The ten virgins are the professors of religion or members of his church those that profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ and hence called Christ-like or Christians. But in this parable, they are also represented as her companions. In other words, they're the ones attending to her in the wedding of the groom. All right, so the parable of this, this parable, the 10 virgins are you and I. We are the um, bearers at this point in time. Uh, we are the 10 virgins. The purpose of these virgins is to meet the bridegroom which is as much as their happiness as their duty. They were there to greet the bride and the bridegroom together and help them in their marriage ceremony. Now, um, let's read again according to Matthew Henry. Henry, this is, I think it's good sometimes when you read good commentaries. He says, They, come, they came to wait upon the bride, bridegroom when he appears, and in the meantime to wait for him, In their waiting. They had to wait because he delayed. See here the nature of Christianity. As Christians, we, profre- we profess ourselves to be, number one, attendance upon Christ, to do him honor as the glorious bridegroom. Number two, we are to be the expectants of Christ and of his second coming. As Christians, we profess not only to believe and look for, but to love and long for the appearing of Christ, And to act in our whole conversation with regard to it. Their chief concern is to have lights in their hands when they attend the bridegroom, thus, to do him honor and to do him service. Note for today, how does this apply for today? Christians are children of light. The gospel is light, and they who receive it must not only be enlightened by it themselves, but must shine as lights. And must hold it forth, Philippians chapter two, verse fourteen and fifteen tells us that, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life, so we are to be the light of the world, just as the ten virgins were to be the light to bring the bridegroom and the bride together, we are to be the light in the world. We have, a, we have a responsibility to do that. Let's look at this parable. At the time the kingdom of heaven, starting at verse 1, at the time the kingdom of heaven would be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, maybe we need to understand a little bit about weddings of the day if we're going to properly understand what was going on here. In this parable, according to the IVP New Testament Commentary, It says that um, in in this parable, the bridesmaids rather than the bride herself constitute the primary characters. Wedding processions from the brides to the groom's house accompanied by singing and dancing normally happened at night and hence required light. The lamps in ancient weddings were not the small handheld lamps used under normal circumstances, but torches, perhaps sticks wrapped with oiled rags, as in traditional palestine arab weddings women torchbearers probably led the bride to the bridegroom's home joined by the groom and his male friends presumably the bridesmaids are thus waiting outside the bride's home for his coming to escort her to his home delays occur while the bride's relatives haggle over the value of presents given them emphasizing the great the bride's great value and thus the wisdom of the groom's selection. So it's a little bit different than maybe we have weddings today. <laughs> I don't know that I had to haggle too much with uh, Mr. Davenport to get his wife's hand. Now, I'm sorry, his daughter's hand. I wasn't marrying his wife. I was marrying my wife, his daughter. Sorry. Yeah, that, was that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. But Jesus is using a parable that they could readily understand of their day because they understood weddings, they understood the delays, they understood this in their culture better than maybe we do today. All right, Verses 2 and 3. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Jesus is generously dividing the ten into half and half. (laughs) there's five foolish and five wise now in today's world i'm not so sure that we're half down the middle the bible doesn't say that the fact that the bible says the love of most will grow cold so i'm not so sure that it will be 50 percent. but we're going to go with a generous with a generous display that jesus did all here were for the same event they were here for the wedding feast but not all were prepared to be there in the case of a delay Certain, and, and, and so there was. they were both there, wise and foolish, were both there for the same purpose. Sincere Christians are the wise virgins and the hypocrites are the foolish virgins. Let's just identify were the five wise and the five not so wise. Again, Matthew Henry says, True religion is true wisdom. Sin is folly, but especially the sin of hypocrisy For those are the greatest fools that are wise in their own conceit and those the worst of sinners that feign themselves as just men. All right. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, we just read that there often were delays because the bride was being haggled over, haggled over. They were the price of... The, the, the dowry was being decided and it was being adjusted. So there was there were expected delays and there was one here. When the wise understood the possibility of the delay and they were prepared for it, whereas the foolish didn't. Now we can understand a little bit better while, why Jesus said the foolish didn't have extra oil where the wise did. We can kind of see that. What's the character of the foolish virgins? Well, the evidence is that the foolish virgin was, was in fact foolish, was that they weren't prepared for the possibility of a delay, especially when they probably knew there would be one. If the bridegroom wouldn't have tarried, if the bridegroom would have come right away, their foolish characteristics wouldn't have been noticed because their torches would have been lit when he, when he arrived. But because he delayed, their foolish character was made evident. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. Again, Matthew Matthew Henry commentary says this, They have no principle within. They have a lamp of profession in their hands but have not in their hearts that stock of sound knowledge, rooted dispositions, and settled resolutions which is necessary to carry them through the services and trials of the present state. In other words, Brought down in today's vernacular, these are the professing Christians that are good Christians when things are good. But as soon as hard times come along, or God doesn't perform for them like he thinks they should, or their prayers aren't answered like they want, or prosperity doesn't follow their life, or any other thing that would make living for Jesus a hard thing requiring them to have a solid foundation of teaching and true understanding they fall away and make up their own little religions they make up their own justifications they they go down through a softer version of christianity they are the ones that call for the itching ear type preaching to say, no, I don't like that, so give me this. Make me feel good, don't tell me truth. That's the, that's the foolish version. That's the one that didn't have the, the sound knowledge. They weren't stocked up with good, sound, foundational teaching of Bible words. They were full of themselves thinking that their own versions of Christianity was good enough to get them in, that their lamp would burn bright enough to justify these are the kind of people that remind me of what Timothy's talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 and then also verse 7, that they have a form of godliness but deny its power. They're always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They're the people that from the outside their profession is good but it lacks any internal spiritual life or power that would ride them through the times when they get hard. When times gets tough, when there's an unexpected illness or a death or a financial travesty or anything else that might shake their faith, they just don't have the internal resolution to say, I'm going to trust in God no matter what. I'm going to praise my God no matter how I feel. I am going to lift up my Father in heaven because He's worthy to be praised because of who He is, not because what He's done for me. That's the kind of foolishness that will not see the kingdom of God. That's the kind of Christian that the Lord is not coming back for. That's the kind that their character will be, made, will be made evident to those around them. They look good on the outside, but yet the character of their life is weak and worldly. Now what's the character of the wise virgins? First of all, what is the evidence? What is the evidence of the wise virgins? What's the difference here between the foolish virgin and the wise virgin. Virgin. Let's look at verse 4. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. There was something physically different about the wise virgin because they were carrying extra oil. They were prepared, and it was obvious to those around them that they had something in their hands. See, these virgins, they had good principle within which would help them maintain and keep up their profession of their faith. These virgins represent the Christian that has a true relationship with Jesus and are well-versed and built upon the rock of good, solid biblical teaching. They are like the wise builder that builds his house on the rock. You remember the parable that Jesus spoke about the wise and the foolish builder? One built his house on the sand, one built his house on the rock, and then the storm of life came. The one that built his house on the sand, what happened to his house? It fell, didn't it? What happened to the house of the man that built his house upon the rock? It stood. That's the wise. That's the evidence of the wise virgin is that they were prepared. This is the type of Christian that when the same bad and unexplainable events happen in a person's life, like an unexpected death, like an unexpected travesty of some type, that their resolution is to trust God and it gets stronger in their life, not weaker that these hard things, the testings of life, make them better, not bitter. Big difference in that one little E to I, better versus bitter. I don't want to be bitter. Bitter is the root of many problems in your life. If you have something that comes against you and you don't understand it, and if you allow it to make you bitter, you're only asking for more of the same problems to come into your life. Rather, have the resolution and understanding that this is a test that God is putting me through, but he wants to make me better as a result of it. That is the evidence of a wise virgin. That is the evidence of one carrying with them this extra curd of oil with them. They see that God has the bigger picture and the more encompassing viewpoint of life, and they understand that the setbacks in this life are actually the events that promote great gain in eternity. The things that I would look at as a setback God is saying, you know, Mike, if you'll just look at it the way I look at it, and if you'll use this as an opportunity to get a little bit closer to me, if you use this as an opportunity to pray a little bit more, to get a little more diligent in your faithfulness to me, you know, that setback that the world looks as a negative, I'm using it as a positive. I'm using it as a way to build you up eternally. That's the way God brings things into our heart and life sometimes. And if I could understand that, then the evidence of my wisdom would be that I would not shake in my boots when I have problems happening. Rather, I would get more resolute in my commitment to Jesus Christ. I would not be faulty. I would not be the one that's given up on church. I would not be the one that's given up on prayer. I would not be the one that is making it so obvious that I am sweating it out. doesn't mean I put on a fake face. It means that I get on my face before God. And it means that I say, Jesus, no matter what's happening, I understand you know the bigger picture than I see it. You see much bigger than I see, and I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you with my future. That's the evidence of the wise virgin. Now, it's interesting that they have a common fault. In this parable, Jesus indicates that both the wise and foolish have faults. It's important here that Jesus never expects perfection in his people. He doesn't expect you to be perfect Whether we're true Christians or hypocritical in our relationship, we all make mistakes. We all do. So this isn't a teaching that you have to be perfect. It's a teaching that we have to be faithful. It's a teaching that we have to be prepared. The common fault here is that they both became drowsy and fell asleep while they were waiting. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. It's interesting here that, to know that Jesus used the process of the fault. The process of the fault. First, they became drowsy. Secondly, they fell asleep. Now, some would say that there's, a dif- well, that there's not a difference. But in the Strong's Concordance, when I looked up the word um, drowsy, it really means that it's the word leading up to sleep, and it means to be idle. It means to be not moving. There is a process of going to sleep. First, a person becomes idle, and then there is the lack of movement, and then they fall asleep. A person that keeps moving isn't nearly as likely to fall asleep as a person that's sitting in their chair on Sunday morning in a church service. (laughs) (laughs) I know the process because I'm really good at it. I can sit in a chair, and it doesn't take long, and if I'm idle long enough, typically my eyes go closed, and I normally fall asleep. (laughs) That's <laughs> a sad thing, I know. My wife, just she doesn't like that. But. It's what I do. Power naps, I call them. Both the wise and the foolish were wide awake at the beginning of the waiting. But as the waiting grew longer and longer, they both became idle and fell asleep. Both the wise and the foolish did. Again, Matthew Henry tells us, While he tarried, those that waited for him grew careless, and forgot what they were attending. The wise virgins slumbered or became drowsy, and the foolish slept. So some distinguish it. However, they were both faulty. The wise virgins kept their lamps burning, but did not keep themselves awake. Listen. Today's application, too many good Christians, when they have been long in profession of their faith grow remiss in their preparations for Christ's second coming. They're intermittent in their care. They abate their zeal. Their graces are not lively, nor their works found perfect before God. And though all love may not be lost, yet the first love is left. That reminds me of what we talked about this summer when we talked about the seven letters of Jesus to the churches. To the letter to the church in Ephesus, Jesus wrote in Revelation chapter twenty two, or chapter chapter two, verses two through five, he says to this church, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You see, having the first love of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, if we're going to be the wise virgins, then it is the key to our staying awake in the wait. Because we live out the love of Jesus, we are obedient to his commands and his bidding. And thus, even though we may grow tired... We may grow drowsy a little bit. What we do when we find ourselves getting drowsy, when we find ourselves getting idle in our walk for the Lord, instead of allowing ourselves go to that slumbering state of sleep, what we do is we wake ourselves up and say, Wake up! Wake up! There's things to be doing in the kingdom. I do not want to be found sleeping when the bride comes or when the groom comes. I want to be woken up. Then comes the call. At midnight, verse six, the midnight cry rang out here 's the bridegroom come out to meet him at both at times, both at this time, both the wise and the virgins, wise and foolish virgins woke up. There was no warning call. There was no five minute call to say, "Hey guys, get ready he 's coming in five minutes so get yourself prepared." No, the midnight cry rang out when the bridegroom came, it was too late. It was over. The bridegroom comes. And now they're ready to go, and if they're not ready, there was no warning given, just the calls here. Verse 7, Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are, growing, are going out. Now should it be a surprise to them that they didn't have enough oil? Should the foolish virgins even be surprised at this? They didn't bring any extra oil with them, and they knew they had a very good probability that there would be a delay in the coming of the bridegroom. Should they have been surprised? Should all those Christians today that are sitting in churches, should they be surprised when the rapture takes place and they're left sitting in their church, pew? Should they be surprised? In today's discussion for all those foolish Christians that have been eagerly seeking and waiting for the bridegroom through other means, through other means, they will not have the oil to trim their lamps and thus be prepared to enter the wedding on that day. What are these other means? Oh there's all kinds of false religions out there. There's all kinds of other ways to think I can get into the kingdom of God. Through my works, through this, through that, through my good person, through once saved always saved. I don't care, you name it. There's all kinds of other ways out there, but the only way to get into the heaven where our God is present is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And is staying ourselves and keeping ourselves in the in the in the blood under the blood of Christ. That's the only way. That's the message of truth. That's the message of love. Verse nine. No, the wise virgins replied. There may not be enough for both of us, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Now, here's the, here. This may sound like a rude, or a un, and not a very nice answer. You know, for them to say, "No, I'm not going to share the oil I have with you." But in all honesty, they didn't have the right to share the oil because it was such, it would have been a travesty if none of the lamps would have been lit when the bridegroom came. It would have been an insult beyond insults of that day for there not to have been a light there to take him the rest of the way. So when they said, no, there's not enough, it's not selfish. It's just they they understood the significance of pleasing the bridegroom more than pleasing the person next to them. There was, a be, there was, here in our vernacular, there's more fear of God than fear of man in my life. I'm not afraid of a man. If I am, then I don't have the proper perspective of who God is. My fear, Rip talked about it in Sunday school today, it is more important to have the proper fear and understanding of God than the understanding and fear of a man. So they couldn't. And the other, here's another way to look at this too and that god proportions enough grace for each individual but that individual doesn't have the right or the capacity to extend his grace to them in other words nobody gets saved on somebody else's coattails children that you might have godly parents you're not saved because you have a godly parent you're not saved because you have a godly grandparent The only person that's saved is the one that has enough oil for their own lamp. The grace of oil is enough for one person and one person alone. We all go through life living together, but yet we're all responsible and accountable for just yourself when it comes standing before the Lord. But while they were, starting at verse 10, But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and a door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Do you see the urgency here? Can you now appreciate a little bit better the urgency of a message that says, Listen, if I knew... If I knew when you were going to die and it was two years away, then maybe I wouldn't speak this way. Or if I knew that. But I don't know that. I don't. So I can only speak what the Bible says. I can only give the urgency of what the Bible says. And the urgency is, I don't know the day nor the hour. Therefore, I want to make sure that I'm ready and that you're ready to meet the Lord when he comes. Whether it's through your personal death or through the corporate rapture, it doesn't make any difference. I just want everyone ready to see Jesus. That's the call in my life. That's why I'm here. That's the burden that the Lord has given for me and for you. I don't want any one of you not to be ready... I want to see every one of you in heaven. I want to be able to walk down the streets of heaven every day for eternity thinking, remember this, remember that, and thank the Lord that, that God placed that burden in our hearts and our lives in a sense of urgency because I don't want any one of us to miss it. But let me ask you the question as we wrap up this discussion and this parable. As Jesus would often say, what does this mean to you? What does this say to you? Which camp are you in? Are you in the wise camp or the foolish camp? What evidence in in your life is there that others would say that you're in the wise camp if you profess to be? See, there's an obvious physical sign that the foolish virgins don't have. Jackie, would you come and start to wind me down, please? There's an obvious physical evidence in the wise virgin, and that is they were carrying a jar of oil. What is your evidence this morning that you're the wise virgin? Are you carrying anything with you that people can see? Are you you afraid what others are going to think of you if they see your preparation? If they see you carrying a jar of oil and they ask you, what is that? Are, they be af- are you afraid of them saying, hey, there's something different about your life? Are you a Christian? So do you live your life amongst those that aren't saved with an obvious sign that there's something different about you? If you don't, then can I say that maybe you should consider which camp you're in? Jesus tells the truth about people that know who are true followers and disciples of Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's evidence. There's evidence by this because you love people there's clear evidence that the wise person who is watching and ready for the coming of the Lord is evidenced by his or her love and proven action James talks about faith without action is dead if you don't have action with your faith then your faith really is of no value and that's what we're going to talk about next week Next week, we're going to go into the second parable that Jesus talked about. And next week, we're going to talk about having the action that goes with this evidence. And then that leads us into November 2nd, which is Orphan Sunday. You see, all of this is talking about being ready and watching and actively awake when the Lord comes back. So you might say, Orphan Sunday isn't about me. Well, you're right, it's not about you. That service is not about you. It's not going to be the same service we have here. It's probably not going to be the worship. It's probably not going to be as good as Jackie leads us. It's not going to be that way. The message may not be as good as the way I preach. You can laugh about that. You can laugh at that one. But the message, though, is not about you getting something out of it. It's about how you can be ready and watching And be the wise virgin by why? Because you're proving your love to your community because you're seeing how you can be involved in a life of those that are less off, not as well off as you are. Right? So this has a purpose here. It's it's interesting how Jesus talked in Matthew chapter 24 about the end time events and then he went right into how do you prove yourself that you're ready? by your working, by your active, by your alive, by your awake. He didn't say, when you see the end times coming, go sell all your property, sell all your possessions, and go up in a mountaintop and wait for me. He didn't say that. What he said was, get busy, get busy, get busy, and build the kingdom of God. That's what he said. Because people need the love of Jesus, and the only way they're going to get it is if you and I give it. Do you understand that? The only way this community is going to change is if you and I give it to them because we supposedly have the answer. But if we're afraid to show them that we have the crews of oil that's going to be prepared to make us the wise virgins, then we're not wise. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you, Father, to help us in this time. First of all, would everyone close your eyes, examine your hearts this morning. This is obviously a call for salvation. Are you in the wise or the foolish camp this morning? Where are you at? Where's your heart? Where's your heart this morning? If Jesus were to come back right now, where would you go? Do you know? For those that know, would you raise your hand? For those that know, without a shadow of doubt, would you raise your hand? For those that can't raise your hand, do you want to? Do you want to? For those this morning that might need to know for sure that Jesus is in their heart, all eyes are closed, please. Very personal time here. I would be remiss. The Lord would be telling me, he would be, he would be saying, Mike, you're remiss by not giving those an opportunity. I know most of the people here are saved, but for those that maybe don't know for sure, do you want to know for sure? Would you raise your hand right now to the, to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to know for sure. I want to know for sure. All right, amen. Good. Now, for next week, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about what it's going to show, how we're going to prove it. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. I thank you, Lord, for giving us the wisdom. I thank you, Lord, for giving us the instruction. I thank you, Lord, for giving us clear words of instruction in this last day. In this time, Lord, that we would be actively awake, that we would not be idle or drowsy or sleeping, but we'd be actively working the kingdom of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jackie, lead us in this song as we prefer to go a place. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Stand with me if you would. throughout this week. I pray, Lord, that this song would burn in our heart throughout this day. I pray this message would be, pre- would be relevant and true and purposeful. And Lord, I pray your blessings, Father, as we go, as we continue to be wise before you. Prepare us to be prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed as you go today.